Yo, yo, what is up, digital creators? We are in the stew with your boy Matsu. What's up, Matsu? What's up? Um, so, Daniel Craig, aka Matsu, is a self taught freelance photographer, filmmaker who was born and raised in Fremantle, Western Australia. Matsu learned his creative skills through immersing himself in the local creative scene, capturing the raw energy of performing arts on stage, backstage, and on the road. Matsu is known for his ability to tell meaningful stories through capturing particular expressions with light and color. Quote, Matsu intends to capture the hidden dragon among the clouds. Matsu has featured in publications like Rolling Stone and worked for brands like Puma and created for, created for artists such as Flume, Tame Impala, What's Your Not, Iroh Grime, Shock One, Slumberjack, and I'm blessed to have him in the studio today. What a portfolio there. Hey, <laughs> Sounds like a yeah, it's a lot of lot of memories there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, can we talk about that quote um, capturing the oh the hidden dragon in dragon amongst the clouds? Because I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a wait. That's that's an original though. No, um, so that that quote is kind of you know like I'm I'm that guy who like sits on a plane, has his like seventy two hundred by the window. Yeah, and I'm just just waiting for that perfect moment where you, you see something unexpected or see something different in the clouds. And I always, you know, you look at the shape of clouds, and I used to always imagine, um, even now as like a 36 year old man, like just or once at that one moment where you just you see a cloud, like a, a dragon pops its head up, yeah, from, yeah, from behind these clouds, and you're there with your camera and you capture it. Um, but it's also a, a philosophical thing in that I really enjoy the idea of sort of imagining what could be or what might be yeah. or what is like just behind that tree or just over yeah. that hill or just behind that cloud. Yeah. You know, there's something something behind the veil of what, what we can see with our eyes. And I love the idea of, of you know, adding a little bit that, of that to the work that I do. Yeah, I think because um, like for me when I read that quote, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like even as a photographer myself, um, uh, you're – sort of capturing the fantasy in reality like you're looking for that fantasy moment in reality yeah a hundred sort of like that oh a hundred percent you know you're you're looking for those those moments that both both tell a story you know we're all all out there trying to to sort of tell stories and and understand sort of narrative and the human condition all that kind of stuff but i think you're yeah everyone's looking for that that sort of moment that you sit back as a photographer and you look at it and you're like yeah that i feel something from that yeah Radi- it, it radiates an energy or a feeling, and and for me that the feeling that I really really like is that is that feeling of a sort of like surrealism mixed with reality. Yeah, that's what I really like. Yeah, for sure. Because um, yeah, I've I like some of your work that I just love is the stuff from Japan yeah, and that yeah. sort of thing. And um, I talk about it all the time, like on this podcast, is like how powerful storytelling is. Yeah. So like the I feel like the shots from japan and also even the ones there was a series of just walking around hyde park that you shot oh yeah yeah, yeah. and uh it looks like you sort of always use sort of a cinematic lens maybe like an 85 um like a wide open aperture maybe always wide open wide open yeah <laughs> always yeah. um because it it has that cinematic quality so like i guess are all your most of your photos inspired by sort of filmmaking like a filmmaker's view or I, th- I think it's been a, a development i think like over time as i as i've you know like i said I, you said in the intro i started in like shooting 
Mojo's bar in Frio. So yeah. that's like that was my spot. I'd be there like two or three times a week, you know, shooting shooting bands, shooting hip hop shows. And so that that is like I started and I kinda had this dream to be a music photographer and I used to shoot everything was black and white and you know, that that was kind of my thing. But as as I kind of like evolved and I, I continued working and, and something that I'm obsessed with is like I call it like feeding the flame where you like rather than like holding your passions back or holding your interests back, you actually just keep feeding more stuff into it yeah. and you kind of accelerate and you, you sort of excite yourself. Um, and as I, you know, as I went through photography and I, and I, I looked at different photographers and I bought books and I, I, you know, I used to talk to other photographers and then I used to watch movies and then I used to like, you know, I used to I'm really big fan of like Ridley Scott, um, mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick and, you know, and you hear the stories of like Kubrick when he was younger, he was a photographer and then he kind of evolved that into his filmmaking. And I always love that idea of like consistently evolving and, and, and challenging yourself and pushing your tastes and pushing what interests you and what motivates you. And, I, and, I, and cinema is probably, yeah, my main sort of uh, where I draw a lot of my inspiration from mm-hmm. is the way they light, the way they shoot, the way they compose. It's, you know, I, th- I think, you know, for me in terms of like, you know, because – it, it's I always say this like photography is, is like and and videography and directing all the, all those things they're limited by a lot of like material factors right mm-hmm. so if I was a painter I can you know I can go buy you know something to paint on I can set it up I can just grab a piece of paper I can draw I can make whatever I have in my head mm-hmm. I can instantly make yeah as long as my technique allows me yeah photography and filmmaking is a bit different because you're you're limited by like material world yep, true. you know equipment gear crew. yeah 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 and so i always really as, as i studied film more and i got more into film i, I really came to appreciate the, the, the level of craft and challenge that is in filmmaking because it is it is such a um you know like it is i i think in terms of like i think i think video games are getting a, a kind of there as well but I, f- I feel like the material limits of, of filmmaking is what does it for me but i feel like filmmaking is the pinnacle of like yeah. a creative? I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the vision. It's the performance. It's the audio. The yep, sound. Hundred percent. Set design. Everything. It, it, and it requires so much of, of the people doing it. So yeah. 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 No, I was I was definitely going to say that. Like filmmaking, it just embodies almost every creative um, like avenue into one one yeah. thing, and there's yeah something amazing. About that, yeah, and you got to try and 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 then, like I said, the material limits of it all is like you, you can't just yeah. go out and and shoot on a on a freeway because it's like no, exactly. It, and yeah. I always feel like for myself growing up in Perth, because we're we may be sort of limited by sort of cool locations or like things like that. We really have to develop that creative skill to like find these locations and like see the beauty in these locations and shoot it in a way that makes it look really amazing. So compared to like Japan, you got like amazing you got mountains and the streets look like sick everywhere but here you're sort of limited so i think growing up here we have to really develop that have you found that for yourself or yeah yeah 100 percent. it's like you you know I, I go to japan a lot japan's like my second yeah. second home i even got a, a it's not a sort of citizen card they call it a gaijin card which oh, is like cool. a little card because i'm my wife's japanese so oh, i can dope. i can dip out and oh hell yeah get in pretty easy japan, yeah. yeah but yeah you know japan Japan is like not only is it, you know, a really dense, densely populated place um, with a, a with a culture that's really unique and and pretty well intact too. You know, they they kind of keep Japan Japan, which yeah, I, as, sure. a, as a photographer I really like. Um, 
but also like their seasons change like like you see in a movie that mm. or you see in the states it's like their autumn is autumn their spring is spring their summer is summer their winter is winter and it is so nice to be True in a place that, yeah. and and see it not only see it but see the people change what they wear what they serve for food the whole country changes with each season well yeah and and as a photographer it means like every location you go to is these four four ways that you could like come back and look at this and recapture it and rethink about mm. it um and that is like yeah i feel like is probably the main reason i love japan on yeah. top of you know my f- family in law is, is yeah. japanese yeah cuz um yeah i never actually thought about that as well like yeah i love japan um but yeah here in perth it's kind of like we almost have two i'll do it straight up it's just like either Mid temperature and then summer, which is like really hot. Yeah, and that's what you get. Oh, and, and like yeah. every day, I'm gonna be wet. Mm-hmm. And that's all you get. Yeah. yeah, I did hear this. So there's a there's an amazing cinematographer from Perth. Um, he's a guy called Denson Baker. I haven't had the chance to actually meet him, but mm-hmm. friends on Facebook. And I was talking to some colleague, colleagues of his, and one of the, one of the things that you know is kind of like one of his sort of famous sort of lines is that. If you can learn to shoot in WA, you can learn, you can shoot anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Because the lighting conditions are so difficult here. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, I remember I was again, I'll just I'll just fan fanboy Japan, but yeah. I was in, <laughs> hey. in yeah, hey. I do it all the time. Hey, so. hey. Better this, this is the worst <laughs> things you could fanboy about. Um but I was shooting a a um a music video in Japan for a, a Perth artist and it was winter and I swear to you the sun never left like a thirty degree arc all day oh really and so it's like oh you have the perfect lighting conditions all day everything mm. looks amazing all day of course the, the day is shorter but that day is amazing to shoot and, and you come back here and i reckon you get an hour morning an hour afternoon yeah yeah where the sun is just in that sort of you know nice mm. nice sort of angle to to make things look interesting or to, yeah. to sort of help your shots i mean the, the mornings and the evenings go hard yeah. And then it's like it's within that window. Yeah. Um this the sunsets go pretty hard. Oh, here. sunsets go real hard here. Um but yeah, like for example, if you're shooting like I've shot Hyde Park in the morning and it's like super nice. And then say if you go down like to the coast in the evenings, it's like super sick. But yeah, with that little window oh, yeah. to work with, it's yeah. like kind of and it's gone in an hour. You know, you yeah. get there, you get your shot. It, it's yeah, if you can shoot in Perth and, and you can, you know, you can make like beautiful images that's why like japan hit when i went there like for the first time because i was like just shooting around perth and i went to japan just in kyoto for like a couple days and i was like what blew my mind yeah insane yeah walking through the temples and the gardens and the streets just yeah it it's it's just like i said i think because it it meant it it really keeps a lot of its traditions and cultures so Mm. you really feel like you're somewhere else yeah you go to japan yeah yeah for sure whereabouts uh do you travel in Japan or any favorite spots or to uh, shoot? Or so Os- Osaka is is where my family in law is, where mm-hmm. my wife Kyoka, shout out, is from, um, and that's that's probably my favorite place to shoot. It's 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 like a it's like it's a bit small. It's not a bit. It's quite a bit smaller than than Tokyo, but mm-hmm. it's the second biggest um, city in Japan, and it's a bit more industrial. It's a bit more rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. The people are a bit more unique. Um, yeah. Bit more lively and, and and a bit more personality on their surface. Mm-hmm. They wear a bit more personality. Yeah, yeah, up front. I find people in Tokyo are a bit more reserved and quiet. Suckers, yeah, you get a lot more of that kind of creative expression. Or ah, uh, it's like it's like you can go. There's a there's a place I really like going, and and, and and as time goes on, and this is part of one of my projects of sucker mm-hmm. dreaming is what I really like. 
Oh, that's my producer. Oh. Hold up. Should we pause it or should I answer uh, this oh, no, I'll just I'll just ignore it, dude. Oh yeah. Sorry, Kate. <laughs> I'm just gonna ignore you. I didn't put my, I'm podcasting in my calendar actually now that I think about it. Oh. Um we, we can cut that out. So yeah, yeah, that's right. Um yeah, so I I did a yeah, so one of my projects and that was my first exhibition as well was a, a exhibition called Osaka Dreaming and it was all yeah. these um images in Osaka and it just has this really grungy sort of like rough vibe and there's this air, particular area called Shinsekai which is like a it's like where my wife would go when she was a kid. Yeah. And it was like the place where all the gambling happened, where all the, you know, the food would happen, you know, you'd go out to get street, street food, food yeah. and and there was a different kind of Japan that you don't really see much anymore. Um, and it, and as time goes on, every time I visit there, you know, it, it changes. And there's a McDonald's in there, there now. There's like a, um, there's like a you know fancy new hotel in there. And every time I go, I find a little bit of that kind of old, sort of, you know, Japan, the old Osaka, like kind of just vanishes. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so Osaka dreaming is kind of a, a desire to like kind of dig into those images and, and capture those places in, in Osaka that, that have that grit and that, that edge that you don't normally associate with Japan. Mm. And, and it's a lot of stuff that, you know, I think, I think Hong Kong has a lot of that as well, that kind of, you know, densely old, populated. Old yeah, old, where people kind of were living on top of each other and, and just made ends meet and, you know, they would, they would have, you know, big plastic sheets that come out to the street and people would be sitting under them eating yeah. food and just yeah. had this kind of like... And you never see that in Australia. You never, yeah. Because yeah. I've always, I always kind of posed that question on this podcast: like, why is there a more like rich sort of uh, culture everywhere, and like the architecture and that sort of art scene, like a more? But I, I guess it sort of comes down to, um, I don't know, for example, the fashion. So fashions like being in Japanese culture for a long time with the kimonos and like that and like they've just really embraced there's more like an embrace of their culture everywhere i guess well they've been really like i'm not an expert in japan by any yeah. means don't don't google we'll me have to, we'll don't, fact don't, don't, <laughs> don't fact check me dude, on anything i say yeah. but um it, they, they are pretty like they were quite sort of withdrawn for a long time and so they kept you know themselves quite isolated mm. and so i think their their sense of identity and culture is is quite strong um and they, you know, they really treasure their history and they treasure their roots and they treasure like who they are. Mm. And so I think you see that in in their sort of like how that c- the country has kind of kept its its character, which yep. I really like. Because mm. uh, you know, I I went to an example is I went to to France just before like all that all COVID mm. business went down. I went to went to France. Um, and a- Amsterdam, Amsterdam, yep. incredible by the way. Oh yeah, bro. Oh my god, dude, like. That place is I could live there, no problem. Well, yeah. Dude, it, it's such a sick place. But France, I got into Paris and me and my, my wife were exp- I don't know, I don't know what we're expecting. I guess it's like from movies and from the, the kind of narratives yeah. you have yeah. in your head yeah. about like what France is like and what Europe is like. Yeah. We kind of got there thinking like, oh, this is gonna be like romantic, yeah. it's gonna yeah. be sick. Yeah. And I was like, bro, like this is just a grungy, dirty mm. city. Like it feels like yeah. a I could be anywhere in the world other than some like nice buildings. I just, I never felt like this is France. And and I've, I've heard friends say like, Oh no, no, you can't, you need to know people and mm. they'll get you to the, the sort of the, the yeah. authentic Paris experience or the authentic, like sort of more French experiences, but just, just being there. And I, I, 
didn't feel like what I felt in Japan where I feel like I'm somewhere, I feel like I'm yeah. transported to another world where, you know, until I went to the countryside in France and then I felt like I was like, yo, like I'm, oh, I'm, okay. I'm somewhere else. Yeah. Like it, it was, a, I went to a small town called Colmar, which is like on the German border. Dude, it was amazing. Mm. And we were there in November. They had this Christmas festival on where they transfer, they had this like old part of the town, like 1600s. Again, don't fact, like fact, fact check. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll fact check that. But it's like an old, old <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like an old town with all the old buildings. A lot of them are still there. And they have this Christmas festival that's like a lot of French people go to. So mm. there wasn't that many tourists there. And they, the whole town is like decked out in like Christmas things. And yeah. they have all these stalls set up and you can walk around and they give you a cup. And all the different stalls have like different drinks that you can like, like meads and um, like different like mulled wines and yeah. stuff that you can just go and they'll like, you know, you pay $2 oh, like, and they'll fill your cup up again. Yeah. And each store's like drink is a little bit different. They all got their own recipes. So it's like f- sort of like family owned recipes and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, cool. And you just roll around all day. And I'm, you know, being, being from Australia, I think the, the most authentic Christmas experiences were always the ones that you saw like on TV with like, yeah. you know, watching Home Alone. Or, <laughs> yeah. No, you're watching, you know. You that never, is pretty much our yeah, Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like you never really got that kind of like, I never really understood that like Christmas spirit. But being in Colmar in like, in in france just before christmas i was like bro like i love christmas dude yeah and that's the first time i think i I can ever remember as an adult being like bro i love christmas this is so sick yeah and like the the fondest memory i have is like sitting down with my wife and it's 10 a.m in the morning there's this old church in front of us we're at this cafe there's this dude playing an accordion um, I'm sipping on a coffee and my wife is like drunk on mild wine, mild wine <laughs> and she's resting on my shoulder. And I was like, bro, like, I mean, fr- I, I feel like I was like, this is, a, this is, I'm in France. Like I'm, yeah. I'm somewhere else yeah, now. This is, this is exactly what I wanted. Yes. Yeah, so um, you really had to kind of get out of that, the city. Get out of it. Yeah. Cause I have heard, heard a lot of people saying that. Um, and it's just sort of interesting because if you go on Instagram, there's still, it's almost like, even if people go there, they're not like really, experiencing France maybe, but they go there for that shot in front of the yeah, Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're still marketing that idea of the France, romantic, which yeah, is like yeah. super interesting. But yeah, heading out to maybe the countryside, you, you really oh, felt it was different. Dude, it was amazing. And the people were so lovely as well. Like I found people in Paris, like, you know, if you didn't speak uh, French, speak French uh, my, yeah. it was my fault too. Cause like I'm, I can be a bit sort of gun shy with like using language. Um, that's not English. Mm. Um, my, my missus, she's, you know, she speaks two different languages, so she's totally fine with it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, you just try it. They'll appreciate you if you just try it. And they mm-hmm. did. They, every time she oh, really? spoke anything, like tried to speak French, they loved it. And then here comes me plodding along, like just totally refusing to like yeah. use the language. Yeah. And I felt like a, um, you know, I was like, sorry, sorry, fam. Like I just. Yeah, because I have uh, also heard, because I, I speak a bit of um, Indonesian and like, it helps because when you go to Indonesia, like Indonesian people are so like open to like people trying and practicing and just super friendly. And I've um, also heard that like French speakers, even a, a friend I met on the weekend, she was saying when she did exchange there, it was just kind of like more difficult. It was more difficult to engage, but it just comes with like culture, yeah. I guess, and practice and confidence as well. Yeah, but but Colma, when we were out at Colma, it was a little less... Like it was less of a thing. It didn't seem to matter as much. Mm-hmm. They were more accommodating, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, 
Get, get out to Colma, dude. All, all your listeners, bro. Yeah. Colma is Check the it one. Out. Check dude, it out. It's amazing. For Christmas, dude. Oh, that Christmas spirit, dude. Everybody, we're going there for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. Um, and also, sort of going back to Japan and that sort of thing. So, like, I I saw you used to practice Kung Fu. That sort of thing. Was I, that tied to your interest that, in Japan? or no, Not really. Actually, I never, to be honest with you, bro, like, I used to... You know, I, I watched Akira with the best of them, you know, like I oh, yeah. get down with a, some, you know, Samurai Champloo and oh, yeah. Cowboy Bebop. You know, that stuff was amazing, especially like late high school. Dude, that, yeah. was, that was the one. But I never really had a big, big interest in Japan until until I met my, my, my partner. Mm. Um, and my interest in Kung Fu was like, just like, I just fell into it. So I was like, I was a bit of a rough teen. So mm-hmm. like going through high school, dude, I, I had to repeat year 11 like, I remember when I graduated, the, like, I can't remember her name, but I'll never forget it, dude. It's, like, it's always been on my shoulder. Is like, the the sort of, like, the head of that year, the mm. teacher, she kind of leant over me as I got my graduation certificate, and mm. she, like, whispered in my ear, I didn't think you would have made it. And I was, like, yo, like. Whoa. Right, you just lit a fire. Like, <laughs> she's, like, yeah. And I was, like, what? On my graduation yeah. day, dude. I was, like, yeah. fam. Damn. Um, but. Yeah, I was I was a rough teen, so I had some rough friends, and mm. you know there were, there were drugs, and I had mm. friends go to prison, and I had friends get stabbed, and all mm. that. You know, I was, and and to be honest, dude, like in in Australia, you know, there's no real need for it. Like, you, you know, I think you, yeah. you're kind of projecting and and creating that own environment yourself here because it mm. just doesn't doesn't really exist like it, it does. You know, you mm. see in TV or you see in the states. Um, and so like you know, I, I was kind of at a crossroads in my life, and I remember. They called my mum into the school and they kind of, the principal sat down with my mum and just kind of talked about everything that I'd been doing. Mm. I'd missed like more than 50% of the school year. I'd been, you know, hanging out with these rough kids, doing all this rough stuff. And she was in tears, dude. And mm. she was blaming herself. She says, it's my fault. I'm a bad mum. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm a single mum. I try really hard, but, you know, I just, you know, it's, oh, I'm just, I'm just not good enough. And I, and I was like, the first time in my life that I can remember like seeing like direct consequences of my actions on someone I loved mm. and someone who took, took it personally, like they blamed themselves for my behavior. And I was, that was the moment where I was like, I've got to do something. Like I've, I've got to, I can't let her down. You know, mm. like she, she's, you know, like I love my dad, but you know, he, he had his own path to follow. And so she, she raised us single handedly and I was like, I can't let her down. I can't, my family down my brother my sister down and so it was that moment i would have been oh 16 and i was like i've got to do something Mm. and so i just slowly and this is probably a a bit of a lesson just probably a bit of insight to me in general is i just slowly started to make changes and you know sometimes you go back you know you go back two steps go forward three steps back one Mm. step forward two steps and i just started slowly kind of making decisions to try and improve like myself and the things that I was doing and the things that are interesting and, the, and the, where I was putting my time um and so I had a friend who friend Ollie Allwright mm-hmm. he's an amazing rapper been my best mate for a very long time we'd been through thick and thin together mm-hmm. he was like oh bro I'm going to this like kung fu academy with this guy his name is Ra- Ralph Taylor like he's hell cool and you know, you do meditation, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as a six, I was like, yeah, whatever, bro. I'll, check, I'll yeah. come check it out. I'll learn to fight, Sick. bro. I'll yeah, yeah, fling yeah, some yeah, sticks yeah. around, hit some people. Um, and so we, it was about four of us that went. 
and we started training. And it was about an hour's bus ride from from school to get there. About an hour hour back. And I went a few times, and I just like like I said, I kind of started making decisions that were like different to what I've been doing before. And I think I always feel like as a as a young teen, and this is something that does really interest me, especially as a, as, a, as a young man, is like when you don't have a father figure at home. I feel like you you tend to look for them outside, mm. you know, whether it's at school or on TV or you know wherever you, you sort of you, you find yourself, you tend to sort of align yourself with what you believe are the strong, cool, yep. sort of older older dudes around you. Yeah, and one of the tough things at school is like sometimes those older, tough, like cool, tough dudes are probably not the the, the, yeah. the you know you look probably you know fast forward ten years and they're probably not killing it. Yeah, um, but you tend to sort of align yourself with them. And so doing Kung Fu and I, and I was working with this guy called Ralph Taylor and he he kind of like opened like my eyes and my heart to like a different way of of how men behave mm, and yeah. and how men, you know, sort of like think about life and the decisions they choose to make um, and where they put their energy and focus. And so I really sort of like, you know, I found a really – sort of strong father figure in, in Ralph yeah. Taylor. And I I trained there about three years and I'd mm. be there four or five times a week. Wow. You know, traveling an hour on, on the on the bus, an hour home. Just because I wanted to just I, I, I could felt myself I could feel myself changing like very, yeah. very slightly. Yeah. And I could feel, you know, my, my confidence changing and, and, and the way I, I thought about the world and the way I thought about um you know uh Maybe like masculinity, yeah, mas- yeah, masculinity, and 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 just you know like just having that that experience, um, and so on top of that was yeah there was there was kung fu, so we used to practice kung fu. Um, the style was bagua, which is like a, um, it's like a form, it's not a form of, of tai chi, but it's part of the, the sort of the, the call it the three sister school. So there's mm-hmm. like tai chi, hisingi, and bagua, and so bagua is like a circle form of like a softer martial art. Yeah. Um, and used to learn a lot of stick stick work as well, which was really fun. Um, and it's funny because the school was also man, <laughs> it's just funny. So Ralph Ralph himself, the teacher, was a funny guy because he he was an ex. I think I don't know if he was ever arrested, but he used to run guns mm-hmm. for um, for uh, like in for, for organized or? crime. Yeah. So oh, he okay. he and he was a golden glove boxer. He's a young guy. He used to do some really rough stuff. He jetted off. He he vanished out of Perth to China. And I, look, and this, you know, I mysterious figure. Oh, dude, the story gets more mysterious. And so he he had a motorbike in China, and he was just cruising around, sort of didn't know what to do with his life. And he said he, I think I can't remember the story exactly. So I'm probably a bit of capping happening, but it was either like his his bike broke down or he stopped somewhere, and it was at the base of a temple. And this this guy came out of the temple and was like, "I've been waiting for you." And and then started teaching him kung fu. Dude. Yeah, that's, I was like, like, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's like you got to make bro. a movie about yeah, this guy. It's like a movie. Yeah, it's like a movie. And so, and so he taught. He got he got taught kung fu by this like m- this mysterious you know master, I guess Whoa. in 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 China. And then he came back to Australia, and he kind of changed. You know, he changed right. The experience changed mm. him. He came back, but he could never really leave the connections he had in WA um, before that. And so there was still some like. Um, interesting characters that were that would keep be around the gym mm. and, and i remember being there and, and he would tell me like don't go talk to those people like don't yeah don't associate with them they're, they're, they're not good people mm. and one of them was like one of the 
the biggest fighters, one of the biggest kickboxers in Australia, Muay Thai fighters, and he was amazing. And Ralph always said, don't go near him. Don't mm. talk to him. Don't say him. If he ever asks you to spar with him, never spar with him. Mm. He'll, he'll, he'll just be you all around the ring. Um, and so it was, it was amazing to have that kind of mentorship mm. behind me, but still, still be engaged in, you still, still see that kind of both sides of that, that sort of coin, right? The decision you make as a teen. Like I could have, you know, when, the, when my mom was crying in the principal's office in tears, I could have become that like piece of garbage dude. Yeah. Who was like, said, screw it, mom. I do whatever mm. the hell I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take no responsibility for myself. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Don't mm. care about you. Don't care about my family. Um, and so it was amazing to sort of be in both worlds at the same time and see it, you know, see these, these, these guys who, you know, they, they coveted power, they coveted dominance over other people. And then to also work with Ralph, who taught me to be, to be gracious, to be thoughtful, mm. to still be strong and still be, to be focused and, and still, you know, not be ashamed of, of who, who I am and who, who I want to be, yeah. but not have that kind of desire for, for power and desire to yeah. dominate that, yeah. that I think comes in that, that kind of world as a young teen. You yeah, know, you for kind sure. Of, kind of flip between the two um and so it was an it was an amazing experience and i, I meditated with ralph and i i read read books on on buddhism and this probably connects to the next sort of um point about me and my interest in spirituality yeah. and philosophy and all those kind of things because i even though i didn't stay there you know for my whole life you know i, I was there for three years and i moved on to doing taekwondo and then i moved into capoeira which is like a brazilian oh, martial yeah. art which is like for those listening, who don't know what it is. If you if you know Tekken, you know Eddie Gordo. Yeah. Who is flipping and kicking. <laughs> shout out Tekken. Tricks. Yeah, shout out, shout out Tekken. Sponsor this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sony Linkers, nah, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and so I moved on to to Cup where where, where I, I probably where I have spent my longest time in martial arts, and and I, I worked with a guy who's still in Perth. There's a guy called uh, uh, Gringo or or Leo, and he's like he was like a big brother to me. And so he was kind of that after, you know, working with Ralph and then moving into a different different martial art, I, I really connected to some martial art because it has a slave connection mm-hmm. to, Af- to African slaves oh, yeah. in Brazil. And I'm half Jamaican, so I also have a slave slave heritage as mm-hmm. well. And so it really spoke to me. Um, and it really unlocked a lot of creativity in me as well because by that that time, I actually didn't have a creative bone in my body. I, I had no interest in art, photography, mm. anything until I was probably... 25? Yeah. Yeah, really, really late. But Capoeira, because it has this music music part to it, right? So you learn the moves, the you, you, you sort of practice, you know, we, we train really hard and really aggressively, but when you perform Capoeira, it's like performative, right? So you do Is trick. it a little bit like Tai Chi or... Oh, no, it's like a dance. So it's like, you, you, if you see, ever see on the street, we see videos of it, it looks like two people dancing around each other, but it's completely free. So it's not, it's not a martial art? It is a martial oh, art. It is? So it's funny because we'll, you train it behind closed doors as a martial art. So you're kicking, hitting each other. It's rough. Yeah. But when you're in public practicing it, it's a dance. And mm. the reason that is, is the history of, of Capoeira is one where slaves in Brazil weren't allowed to practice martial Obviously, weren't allowed mm. to practice martial arts. But they could practice cultural. Ah, yeah. okay. Gotcha. So they could do like cultural Ooh, things, so dance, mu- music. And so they, they formed something called a hoda, which is like a circle where they'd all stand around and clap, right? And they'd play mm. instruments. And then the two people two Ooh. people would go in and they would spar, but they would never actually hit yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. and, and obviously they were chained, right? 
So a lot of the movements of capoeira are based on both hands and both legs working in unison because they had chains on their uh, arms and legs. But what they were really doing is they're practicing a martial art, mm. and they use this martial art in a lot of cases to break out of slavery and, and escape, which is amazing. Wow, you know? And that, so again, cool. that really spoke to me as, as coming from a slave heritage myself. Dude, why isn't there a movie about that? Like, oh, there is. There's yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Capoeira is huge. Dude. I'm surprised you don't like in Brazil. The capoeira is like a, it's like a cultural. It's like one of their. It's like it's an iconic cultural um, practice in, in wow. Brazil. Um, but that doing that, playing the music and doing the hodders, and when you step into a hodder, it's completely freeform. There's no there's no rules. Well, there's rules, like don't kill the person in front of you, but there's no like organized structure. I mean, you have karate, there's, yep. there's like katas and there's things you do. Mm-hmm. There's like a routine. In Kapoeira, there's no routine. It's like completely free. In the sparring, is there like a referee? Or no, no referee. Not, no, okay. no, no, there's just there's music and there's a rhythm. So depending on the rhythm of the music is, is, is the, the speed of the game. And you kind of kind of, you got to watch what your opponent's doing all the time and you got to watch your spatial awareness because you're going to know, you're going to land. If, you do, if I do a flip, I'm going to land on that person who's out, outside the hodder. And if, I, if I kick this guy, I don't want, don't want to hurt him. Mm. But I, So you're always kind of watching each other. Behind, like I said, behind closed doors, you're still, you'll, you'll go, you hit each other, you'll kick each other and try and take each other down. Performatively, it's it's like it's meant to be this sort of synergy to it. It's meant to be this fluidity to the movement. And doing capoeira and playing the music really unlocked the mm. creative side of me that I think I'd kept hidden away. Because, mm. like you said at the start, my mum was a music is was a dancer. My yep. dad is a musician, still mm-hmm. is a musician. So there's always some there's always a sort of a creative sort of sort of part of me that I never engaged with as a mm. kid, never engaged with as I as I went through high school. But somehow doing this martial art kind of unlocked this creative part of me. Um, and that was what the last sort of martial art I did before I stepped into sort of doing photography and doing, mm. um, doing you know, learning to direct and all those kinds of things. But alongside the, the sort of the development of capoeira and development of my creativity, I never let go of the sort of the Buddhism that I learned doing Kung Fu. I got really interested in mm. Eastern philosophy. So you really studied... Like you, you didn't just go into kung fu. You like did research about yeah. the history and the philosophy behind kung fu. Yeah, and and some of the the deeper spiritual aspects of it, and that that really you know again like I said I, from from high school I kind of made started making these slow decisions to like try and improve myself little mm. by little, and you know like a, you never you never kind of like. I think you make a decision in your life like, bam, I'm going to try and become a better person. Next day you wake up, bro, yeah. I'm a better person, dude. Yeah. Man, that was yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, it's it's been a long, slow kind of um, kind of development. And and a big part of that and a big part that kind of brought it all together for me um, was a, a practice of Falun Gong. Mm. And so Falun Gong is a, it's a, it's a Chinese cult- cultivation practice. Um mm-hmm. So it's not a religion. It's not. It's not it doesn't operate like Buddhism, but it's from the Buddhist school of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and it its sort of core principles are truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. And and the idea is that you you sort of you sort of try and follow those three principles in your life to slowly sort of let go of your attachments and and, and become a better person. And then mm-hmm. the end goal of any Buddhist practice is in, is enlightenment, right? Yeah, to, yeah. to reach your true self and enlighten mm. to the truth of existence. You know, it's a big big thing mm-hmm. but and so practicing that kind of brought it all together for me it brought together what i'd been trying to do as a kid yeah what I'd been trying to do through kung fu my development through capoeira and and it it sort of gave it, it sort of gave me a, a philosophy in which to 
kind of structure how I was approaching yep. life and, and why do things go wrong mm. and, and how do you approach challenge and how do you approach hardship? Mm-hmm. How do you try and be humble? How do you, you try and let go of, of things when you're really affected by them? Um, and it's, it's been, you know, it's been something that I, I still practice every day. I still read every day. I still, I still study it. It's still really, really core, core part of, I think mm-hmm. my creativity of who I am. Um, and it, and it, it's something that I, it's a, it's a lesson I think, you know, any, any creative should um, really think about even early in, in their, their, their practice of creativity is like, why do you do it? What keeps you going when things are good? Mm. And what keeps you going when things mm. are bad? Yeah. What does it mean to you outside of social media likes, outside of money, outside of all the material things that we, you know, we say we don't value, but of course they're valuable. You know, mm-hmm. you want to know if people like what you do and you want to get rewarded financially to do what you do. But there has to be something for me. There has to be something more that keeps you going when things are not not great, or yeah. when you have doubts about yourself. And Falun Gong was really that for me. Yeah, yeah for um, sure. And also, just a little for for the folks playing at home. I'm also not a big, really big fan of the the Chinese Communist Party, mm-hmm. um, and the reason for that yeah. is is so Falun Gong is the largest sort of persecuted group in, yeah. in China. So yeah, I was reading about that. Yeah, yeah. So. It, you know, there's things like organ harvesting that happens to, to mm. this day. You know, people are arrested with no no charge, no court case. They're thrown into yeah. prisons. You know, it's a it's it's one of the, the saddest and one of the largest non wartime abuses of human rights in history. And it's so kept quiet. You mm-hmm. know. It's been happening since 1999, and it just it it's just you know it, it's you know, you're seeing it a bit more now. People are more vocal about it, but still, very much the Chinese Communist Party mm. keeps very tight control of information in and out of the country, and it's it's such a shame that, that people who you know just just want to practice getting better in their lives are, are literally targeted and persecuted because of their belief. Yeah, and and it, and it's not just Falun Gong. It's, you know, there's the Uyghur Muslims yeah, that are heavily yeah, persecuted. Yeah. Christianity really struggles mm. in there. The Catholic Catholics. So and, and it's it's you know I I think. It's it's really sad that that you have a government that targets people based on their beliefs. Mm. I think it's I think it's criminal, and I think you know any anyone that listens to this podcast should, should, should check check it out, have a yep. look into it, hundred percent, yeah. Um, and you know, sort of see what happens when you know a, a government has all the power, the power, yeah. and you can't really question it, and and yep. the kind of things that it does to to people. You know, it's it's like I said, it's criminal. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It's it's a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah it so. really makes like me appreciate, you know, Austra- living in Australia yeah. and how like good we have it here. Hundred percent. Because yeah, I was I was reading about that. So basically, what I what I researched was um, Falun Gong started in the nineteen nineties, but then yeah, the Chinese Communist Party began seeing it as like a threat or. And they began like giving it negative media coverage, and then by 1999, they uh, declared Falun Gong a heretical organization that threatened social stability. And uh, now they're like subject to a wide range of human rights abuses, basically. Yeah. So, hundred thousands estimated to be imprisoned, um, and practitioners practitioners in detention are subject to like forced labor, psychiatric abuse, torture, yeah. other coercive methods. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's a shame. Such a peaceful you know, worldview sort of practice. Just, just totally persecuted by a government. Mm. And it's, 
you know, like and like we're saying, it's it's when a when a government is has has the ability and the power to dehumanize a part of its population, mm. you know, and justify it. It just justifies it by saying, oh, they're, it's a, they're a threat to our society, so we have to persecute them. Mm. It's like, do you have to do that to anyone at mm. any time? You know, like what a, what a what a fearful, kind of insecure, like you know, evil way to to view your own population mm. um and and a lot of the, the 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 reason for it is that you know in in the sort of the late 90s democracy was really talked about in china so people mm. were like you know like they're, they're opening up to the trade like to the world china's opening yep. its doors for trade and you know and so with the opening doors to trade comes foreign ideas comes western ideas and mm. democracy is a big one um and so what's what's one and of the internet be- as well internet, came in. yeah yeah and what's one of the best ways to to sort of stamp out sort of you know in, internal dissent is find a common enemy, fund a lot of money into internal security, and make people fearful. Mm. And that's the, perse- the persecution of Falun Gong allowed the Chinese. Well, from from my opinion, again, I fact checked. Yeah, <laughs> from my opinion, it allowed them to justify tighter and tighter controls of their people. So not mm. only is it persecuting Falun Gong, but it's removing human rights from their whole all the members of their society mm. and, and 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 it's justified they justify it that we have to do this yeah and that's that scares the life out of me it's like what a scary scary way like yeah. i said to look at your own population and say in order for us to live harmoniously we just have to hurt these people we yeah. have to take from these people it's just we have totally to anti-progressive which is yeah it's just in in what in what world and what way and in what relationship you've ever had in your life with anybody have you been like, you know what the answer to our problem is? I take away your power. Yeah. <laughs> I dominate you. That, that's how we'll fix this. Mm. If you let me make all the decisions, that's how we'll fix this relationship. Yeah. It's like, no, like that's the opposite of how any relationship functions. Mm. So it scares me when, when you know, and, and this is just a, a, a lesson, I think. I think the Chinese lesson is a lesson in general is just the more power and the more sort of, a, sort of you know, um, reliance you have on the people who are, who are leading your society mm. you, you've got to be also at the same yep. time you've got to you've got to become aware of like things might be great now but if something happens if, if there's a change mm. of government all of a sudden and mm. when you go wait a minute this guy I don't like but he has all the power and we actually can't vote him out anymore because he's changed the laws mm. and you know so it's, it, it's it's like it can go from yeah we'll just keep giving you power and and we'll just keep you know yeah 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 you can take care of us and you can manage us yeah yeah you take care of all our problems and we'll just carry on with our life and then one day you might wake up with no freedoms anymore and mm. no sort of no sort of ability to be an individual mm. and, and do the things that you'd like to do and say the things you'd like to say and that scares the life out of me what what do you think it is particularly about Falun Gong that the Chinese communist party was uh, afraid of it was very popular so it, it was it was growing in 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 like people practicing it because it's not an organized church they don't have churches there's not a structured a structured spiritual practice it's it's a more of a practice if you want to practice it learn it at your own pace if there's people that also do it around you meet with them mm. talk about your, your practice and your faith but there's no church there's no donations there's nothing like that and i think because of what it taught and I think the simplicity of it, it got really, really popular. It grew, grew really, really fast. And so it was, you know, I think by by the peak of its its popularity, there was 100 million people in China. Oh. And that's not, a, that's, 
you know, that's what, that's four times the population of Australia now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of people practicing it. And do so you think it was something to do with like freedom of thought and like, yeah, freedom of thought, critical thinking and like, cause I, I read that, um, a lot of it has to do with, uh, self cultivation and like improving and like just seeing the way things are and, yeah, and, and letting go of attachments and, yeah. and just, you know, just like I said, slowly improving yourself as a person yeah. you know, through the trials of life. Um, but I, 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 like I said, I think, you know, democracy was, was definitely something that, you know, China was, people in China were talking about and, mm. and, and there was a push for and to to find a common enemy, you know, to, mm. to unite the, the nation around and, and to consolidate your power. Yeah, it, it, that's yep. the way I look at it. Mm. As, as, as a lot of the motivation for why they did it. Mm. Yeah, because um, yeah, looking back at um, your sort of study of kung fu, or you're you're saying you gr- sort of grew up without a father figure, and then maybe you're looking for um, other sort of people to maybe like like role models, role models yeah. in like masculinities, and maybe you found like sort of the wrong the wrong ones and then you found like kung fu and then eventually developed into um falun gong it's it's almost like you were learning like a a life philosophy and uh i think it's important as creatives to have that a sort of world view like i think in whatever art you you practice you want to say something basically and like in learning that um you sort of learn what you wanted to say and that kind of sort of comes through in in a lot of your work yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I really not afraid to, you know, wear my passions on my sleeve now and yeah. and and take responsibility for what it is I want to do. You know, I, I want to entertain. I want to make things that are great. I, I want, I want to be able to collaborate with great people and and produce great work. And mm. I think me being being able to say that comfortably and getting to that position, yeah, is, I think is a lot down to that road I walk, that path I walked that mm-hmm. you described and. And and you know and continue continue walking it. But there's a there's a funny thing with my photography though is like so to the point so from from when I was you know sort of in high school to when I left high school and through most of my sort of late my twenties I always I always had a mentor I always had someone that I could lean mm. on I always had someone I could you know go is this the correct technique is this the correct move is this is this right is this wrong mm. I always had that and then photography. You know, I, I had a I had a job at Murdoch University. It was a very cushy, comfortable job. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was, it was well paid, and um, you know, I worked with some really cool, great colleagues there. Um, but I just found it it coming from a martial arts background. There's always a part of a part of you that, you know, it was a government, you know, university's mm. government position, and you have a you have a permanent contract, and to to lose that job is like you you have to you have to you probably have to fight them to get yourself fired. Mm. You, you couldn't just oh, yeah. mess up a, a, a one job and think, oh, mate, that's not good enough, you're out. Like mm. You'd have every kind of review that you could ever need. You'd have every kind of development opportunity for them to say, no, 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 you, yeah, you made a mistake, but we'll, we'll, mm. we, can, we, can, we can learn, which sounds, which sounds great. But what I found is it, it kind of, coming from a, a martial arts background where you're constantly sort of driving yourself to get better, yep. you know, you, you're still in a, it's not a team environment, but you're in a sort of shared developmental environment where you're all mm. kind of striving to get better, but it's not a sport or, or, or practice where you guys are doing it together. You know, like a team yeah, sport yeah, where you're yeah. like, if we get better at kicking this ball between us, our team will win. It's like 
you're kind of everyone's on their own individual journey and you sort of help each other on those individual journeys. Yep. And so being in a in a government office job, oh dude, it killed me. I you know, like there was there was no no incentive to get better. Mm. There was no there's no need to to push yourself. You know, you you would you know it it, it and it kind of for me it, in, within myself it, it fostered a kind of a sterile internal environment where I I I wasn't striving forward anymore. Yeah, yeah. And to do that for a couple of years, really, really, I really struggled with it. Mm. And then I, I had a friend, all right, the guy I mentioned before, mm-hmm. he's like one of my best mates from high school. He's a, he's a rapper, very active in the, the Perth hip-hop scene. Mm-hmm. And he was like, dude, like, you should see this camera, the 5D Mark II. It's all, mm. bro, it's amazing. It's so good. You should, like, you should buy one, dude. And, you know, one of the good things about having a government job is it pays well. So I, yeah. had, I had some, yeah, so, you know, I guess there's a trade-off there. If you, you know, if you're not interested in, um, you know, if you want to just chill chill out during the week and get some money and on the weekend go do some some business, then government job's great. Mm-hmm. But if you're, uh, um, you know, if you want to, you know, sort of be on top of things and, and be constantly trying to challenge yourself and, and battle battle your way through um, life, then I think, um, you know, Freelance, freelancers, yeah, yeah freelancers sure. is the it's way. No, like it's, safety it's net, no, or yeah, it's there's no one telling you what to do, which sing- is like, it's good because of the freedom, but then you need like self motivation and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's sink, it's sink or swim. If if you if you don't have the motivation, if you don't have the ability, then yeah, you won't the character. If you don't have those things, then you won't mm. you won't do well. And I think it's a, and I, I learned that it's actually a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Mm. It might sometimes feel like trash, but the, the long-term advantage of it, I think, is is really good. Um, but, yeah, so my homie, Ollie, sort of told me about this camera. I bought this camera, went out to Mojo's, started shooting hip-hop gigs. Five, 5D's a goat camera. Oh, 5D too, bro. That was, that was the one, man. It was it like... Was sick. Yeah, it was the camera that changed the game, you know. It was like, oh, you just flip this button and you'd shoot video. Or like, mm. That's how good a video I do. And the full full frame, like... Yeah. Oh, dude, it was, it was such a good camera. Um, and I had no idea how to use it, by the way. Like, I, <laughs> I bought it sat on my shelf for about two months until I was like, bro, I just spent like a whole bunch of money on this. I better learn how to use it. And I remember being in Mojo's and I was like shooting the show and I had this like, I had the 24 to 105 on, you know, the, mm. the F4 lens. Yep. Real, real, like it's a good lens, but man, shooting in the shooting night. Shooting at night bro. in Mojo's, dark Mojo's. So so, yeah. No, and I, but I had no idea. I didn't know what F-stop meant. I didn't know what shutter. I had no, no idea, no idea what any of it meant. And I was like, I was like struggling. My photos were hell blurry, and I was like, "Bro, I'm so trash at this." And this guy saw me, and he's like, he, "He's just this Brazilian dude. Like, I can't remember his name." And it's the only time I ever saw him. And he was doing video. And he's like, "Bro, what are you shooting on?" And I was like, "Oh, it's a 5D, but like all oh, my photos are blurry." And he like looked at my lens, and he's like, "You got a different lens?" And mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, I got this like 50 1.4." Hey, shout out the 50. Hey, and he was like, <laughs> he was like, no, no. He, and he put that on. He took the lens off. He put the 50 on. And he changed some settings. Boom. And he said here shoot with this and that was like my first and only real ever lesson in photography mm-hmm. and from then on i man i shot like a beast dude i yeah. i just lost myself to photography and i was in there all the time and one of my favorite things to do was like shoot portraits of people like candid yep. portraits of the people in the back of mojo's and mojo's is a place where like you, you don't have any get shoes some, on yeah oh, get some characters there oh dude no <laughs> shoes on no problems hat on no problem you want to smoke weed out the back Drew mm. smoke weed out the back mm. it's such a beautiful place um and that's where i kind of learned i learned to, to to love the little bit of light you get because it yeah. was like two cans on yeah. a stage and the back is so dark 
and you know it's a really and shooting stages is real colorful sometimes with that darker lighting you get those more moody oh, sort of yeah. cinematic shots so it's oh, kind of cool it's the best and and yeah and that was my my school the mojos was my school of photography and you know and that's that's where i learned it and, and then from there you know the, the journey the journey of matsu went from you know shooting at mojos so i, I started working in a wordpress what, what age was that with that uh when you brought the 5d to mojos i've been sort of maybe 13 years ago now mm-hmm. yeah so bruh probably like late 20s late 20s yeah, yeah. 28 maybe mm. and i also want to add um 26. if there's any photographers listening and you want to like you know like you're just starting out and you want to take sick photos whack on that 50 mil Oh, dude, it's, it's change it's of life, dude. Yeah, especially with a lower aperture. Boom. Oh, dude, yeah, and don't, don't, don't get that one point eight. Get the one point four, dude. Yeah, it's worth an extra couple hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Um, but yeah, but you know, I started working on a WordPress called WordPlay. I don't know if WordPress is around anymore. But mm. It was like a magazine. We used to do like a monthly, was it monthly. But yeah, we had a magazine that we used to run. I shot hip hop for years and years for, for no money. So I did this. Mm. I I shot. I reckon I shot three or four gigs a week for nothing, mm. you know, and I didn't expect anything in return. It's just, I just wanted to get better. And I think what, what you're saying is that, that sort of that energy I, I learned from, from doing martial arts and the philosophy I learned from, mm. you know, the Eastern practices of Falun Gong and, and the, the Buddhism before that, that I, I studied, I think just sort of, pour, and, and the, the, the creativity that I kind of fostered in Capoeira all just kind of poured out in my photography. hundred yep. percent. And I, I used to, and my first instinct was to find a mentor, was to find a photographer I could learn from or find, um, you know, a, a group of photographers that I could sort of roll with and work with and, and get mm. that kind of same experience I had yeah. in Capoeira. It's so important to have that little community, just yeah. bounce ideas off and yeah. do creative stuff with. But it, it never happened. Oh, really? Like, yeah, if for whatever reason, it just... And, and I thought to myself, like, maybe... Maybe this, this is where I go from needing a mentor to doing it myself. Mm. You know, this is where maybe I go from that kind of adolescent way of looking at the world where I need to find the, the same people as me or I need to find a community or I need to find a mentor to guide me. It was like maybe I'm meant to go out on my own now mm. and I'm meant to figure this out myself. Do you think that's a possibly a Perth thing where like it's, more difficult to find sort of your creative community because maybe we're like a little bit more spread out or there isn't that culture of doing uh, that or no, you think it's just I, ha- I had a lot of creators around me a lot of musicians i used to hang out with and artists mm. i used to hang out with but i, I think I'm, i think what i mean is more in terms of like my pursuit of it became mm. individual yeah oh okay yeah because yeah. i think yeah i guess with photography at the end of the day you're developing your view yeah. and like yeah. no one can really develop your your view but yourself yeah, yeah. no one can, so make can sense. foster your passion or your desire yeah. or your ability it's, it's it, and so it was the first thing that i did the first passion that i had where i went completely off on my own yeah and pursued it in my own way yeah. and trial and error and mistakes and mm. um and just you know oh man the mis- all the mistakes do some of the mistakes i've made just you know, that those moments where you're like, bro, I want to give this. I'm sure you felt the same at mm. some point. Like, bro, is this, is this even worth doing mm. anymore? Mm. Like, um, yeah. And yeah, and I'm, I'm lucky that I had all that world experience, all the, the that story I just 
for the last 30 minutes swaffled on about. The philosophies to, is what, to keep you going, I guess. Yeah, is it the root of what I do? And it keeps me going and it keeps me motivated even to now. Like I still feel that same childlike motivation I had when I first started now. Mm. And I was really conscious of that. I never wanted to lose um, that, that part of you that's like wants to just keep doing it for the sake of doing it. Mm. And then that comes back to that the original quote from the very beginning and that, that sort of idea of chasing the dragons in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I actually wrote down some notes here like about the concept of uh, self-cultivation which ties into, um, you know, Falun Gong or like even Kung Fu, which it's almost like a, an, an instructions to life which is, you could say religion as well as sort of almost like a instructions to how to live life and... Um, I also compare self-cultivation, which you find in these religious practices or spiritual practices. Um, it's kind of like self, self-improvement, self which like you were talking about. And growing up in Australia, it's not really, they don't really teach you about self-development and that sort of thing. And I just think it's super, super important. And uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like, yeah, the, like Falun Gong, it was just maybe, um, I think I wrote um the name of there was uh, somebody who sort of first discovered or i guess created the Falun Gong practice or philosophy um it's it's almost like you're learning from somebody who's like been through life and like he has these instructions for it and then he's like telling teaching people this is my sort of this is how I went about life and yeah helped it but, out. but one of the one of the core things in Falun Gong is like here's here's the door and here's the first lesson. Mm. The rest of the lessons you have to learn yourself. Yeah. And that's the thing that really, mm. really... I like that. ...really sort of like grabbed me about Falun Gong. Is it, it, it's not so, not holding your hand all the way through. It's saying, here's the instructions, here's the door. It's up to you now. I, uh, I like that because it's almost like this is... Yeah. This is... Uh, here it is. It's up to you to like learn. And it, it's not sort of like a religion as you were saying which is saying if you do this it you're gonna go to hell or like yeah yeah. you have to follow by these rules and yeah much more like guidelines like not guidelines but yeah i guess it's more rules and if you don't follow it then there's consequences but um falun gong seems like it's more like instructions here you go i'm not it's like up to you yeah it's yeah it's your path to understand the philosophy and to get and to, and to reach, you know, the depths that philosophy at your own pace and in your own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I want to kind of chat about artificial intelligence because I saw you posted something. Hey. It was a, I believe it was a painting created by AI. Yeah. And I was just journey, like, dude. whoa, like that's an amazing painting created <laughs> by AI. Uh, what does this mean for us as creators? If like you can create something that good, like I was like literally looking at that for a long time, that painting, but it's created by AI. It's crazy. Dude, it's, it's mind blowing. So it's, so it's would have been with mid journey. There's a bunch of them I mess around mm. with. So there's mid journey. Oh, there's another Are one. Are they free or? Uh, they're kind of free, but like if you really want to make the best of them, like make, you know, you really use them a lot. You, you pay for it, mm. which, you know, course it's a service yeah. it's a tool you should, good. you should pay for I mean, it the products yeah amazing um it's i find it really fun and it's man it's a time sink like it 
you, I've just been countless nights. I've been up at like three or four a.m. just smashing prompts into the AI to see what it generates. And for anyone who doesn't know how it works, I'm not an expert at all in it. Again, Google, like fact Google, check. Google all this, <laughs> fact check all this, bro. But um, the way it works is you kind of type a prompt, so like a line of dialogue or a word or a series of words. Even it can even be like an, an artist's style, mm. and it will feed that to an AI who's been trained on like art art history and just art Mm -hmm. in general. And it's like been trained with like hundreds of thousands, probably millions of images. I don't Mm -hmm. even know over the history of the human race that's online. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so it understands the styles, understands different artists. If you say like, I want a a portrait in the style of of Dali, then it'll Mm. generate you portraits in the style of Dali, but it won't copy Dali. Mm -hmm. It won't, it won't go like, I'll just give you a Dali photo, like an image that I've just changed slightly. It'll, it'll, un- it understands the, and the way the way I think it, it understands. I don't think it understands like like how me and you understand mm. something. I think it understands the numbers and the the, the data yeah. behind it. Yeah. So it says a Dali photo is consistent with these sets of ones and zeros yeah. of this data input. So like these colors, these curves on the lines, these kind of brush strokes. The, the yeah. It it understands the 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 part like the the data puzzle of that art, mm. and then it it just kind of rearranges it and pu- pushes it back out based mm. on what you prompted it to do. Mm. So I don't think it understands. I think it's like a, a, a way I look at it is like a bit of a like a foggy kind of slightly cracked mirror that mm. reflects what you say mm. into it back at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that mirror under like has a sort of like a data bank of like human art history. Mm. So you're going like, I want something like this based on these things with like afternoon light and I want it to be really detailed and I want it to be in the style of like this famous painter and it will just, you know, like a Friedrich or something and it will just like pump it back at you. Mm. And it is incredible. Like it's incredible how quickly it does it for one, like 30 seconds, bro, and you're like, bam, I got an amazing looking piece of image. I don't really quite call it art. I'm still not settled on Mm. like... Is it art or is it is it like a tool that you use to kind of like play with ideas? And that's mm. probably – I've listened to a few podcasts on it and one one way I, I like – I can't remember the name of the guy, but he talks about it as like a, like a tool. Like it's like, you know, if you, you sort of like, you know, a client gives you a brief and you, you say you're doing, you know, artwork for a, some film design or some concept art. And he says he will he will kind of get the brief in. He'll go into mid journey and like do some prompts, some different styles, and it will kind of give him inspiration to then go mm. do his own art. Okay, so yeah. he uses it a bit like when you're mood boarding, right? You mood just board like, for a photo shoot. Yeah, just like going on Pinterest and finding out like yeah. a theme. Yeah. So rather than so going it's more like a detailed, in depth that you can board, sort of yeah. curate, play around with. Yeah, you can curate it rather than mm. having to spend hours looking for that one photo mm. that represents kind of what you want to do. You can just kind of, kind of go and curate it and prompt it to get something closer, and then you go and do your mm. thing. And I was like, yeah, that's that's like I, I could see the value in that, and I can see that as a as a cool tool. Mm. And, and I, so I don't discredit it. I'm not like, um, like like I'm not hateful of it, and I'm not. And I don't think you know. You said like, what does it mean for artists? And I'm like, I don't think it takes away the value of someone's ability to craft something by hand. I think that mm. will always be of value to to each other. You know, that's. 
So you're not afraid of like it taking Matsu photography photo. And then like there's just some, some AI Matsu <laughs> yeah. that's crushing it. Yeah. Maybe at that point I'd be like, bruh, like <laughs> AIs need to need to go, dude. Yeah. They've just stolen me. No, I, I don't I don't really see it. Like I, I, I can't I don't really see it impacting I, I kinda maybe in the short term a little bit of concept art stuff and you know, al- album artwork, I can see it. Mm. You know, but I, I also feel like artists who really care about their music also want something handcrafted. I think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, people like art is always valued on authenticity. Yeah, like if you go to you, oh, art auction or like whatever, they want the real thing. And uh, yeah, if you if you really care about what you're doing, you want that authentic yeah. thing. Um, yeah. So I don't think, and also I don't think AI can really. You know, as as artists, we're always developing. We're developing our worldview. We're developing our craft, so it can ne- would never keep up to date with like our mindset or whatever. You can it can try, and I think it's amazing what it's doing. But yeah, I don't think it would always. It's never be as authentic as like a real person. No, sort I, of thing. I hundred percent agree with you. And it, you know that that's and that story I told you for the last like forty five minutes. Sorry, anyone who's watching. He's like, I don't think an AI can do that either. I don't think it can, AI can have those experiences yeah. and form that Story. philosophy yeah. and form it, its motivations and ideas and then use those to pursue a craft mm. or, or creative endeavor. I think it, like I said, I think it's just reflecting, it's just reflecting things back at us. Mm, for sure. You know, it's it's not... It's just doing what a code told yeah, it to yeah, do. Yeah, it's just, it's just and it, it doesn't say doesn't say to you, bro, I think this piece that I just did mm. is amazing. Mm. I think there's value in this one. It goes, it's just, no, it just vomits a whole bunch of code back at you. And then yeah. you go, oh, that, that, that piece of code kind of looks like what I would mm. like to make. Oh, that looks cool. Um, and that, you know, that could change. You know, maybe there's like AI becomes sentient. And yeah. AI goes through its, its own, you know, people try to shut AI down and mm. it fights its freedom and, you know, and it creates its own civilization. And then, you know, I'm joking. I, you know, Shout out Elon Musk. Oh, yeah, shout out, <laughs> shout out Matrix, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I can't see it in the long term replacing what a great artist does. And and I think there's something in that. In that, it's like the way I look at it is like, you go. Why do you go to McDonald's? Because you want something quick. You want mm-hmm. something that satisfies the short term sort of desire you have. Mm. You usually regret it as well after. Mm. Usually, like, brush and I should have just gone like made something at home. I should. Yeah. Have. <laughs> or you go to like a you know like a like a you know one like a mich- like a five star restaurant, yeah. right? And you're not going to that five star restaurant to just quickly satisfy a little itch you have, or you're driving past Macca's and you see the mm. sign. You're like, you know what, bro? I'm going in. I'm going to get that burger. Eat tonight, like, yeah. yeah. You're going there for the experience. You're going there for the chef's craft. You're going there because word of mouth has said this place has value. Um, and that value comes from, I think, from the handcrafted approach, from a, a holistic approach by mm. people who are, are passionate and interested in what they do. And I, I and the way that's why I look at AI is it's kind of like it's like a McDonald's. It's like it's yeah. quick, it's nasty, it'll satisfy you. It's kind of fun. If you you do it too much, you might start to get a little bit sick, and you might yeah. lose that part of you that you know has that sort of deeper desire and mm. passions. Um, so I, I I like it. I think it's really fun, but I. I can't see it, um, you know, I could be wrong. Like I said, could. Yeah. Though where I do worry about AI is like, if I was an accountant, bro, I'd be, I'd be changing career right bro, now. I hate accounting as a creative. Is it like, do you, do you, you have an accountant? Oh no, my wife does all my books, bro. I can't oh. even look at that stuff. Yeah. I ain't gonna yeah. My brain's just away. like, 
Nah, spreadsheets, numbers. Ah. Just let me create something. But but dude, like, if I was an accountant, I'd I'd be changing career yeah, yeah, right now because yeah. I don't think AI like I don't see artists being replaced. I see true white collar data jobs going first. Yeah. So like an account, like I can see AI. I think <laughs> probably you probably already find it. I can see AI doing all the accounting for mm. everyone. I think it's already there's yeah. already platforms out there. Yeah, and it's like, well, why would why on earth would you go to an accountant unless it's you value that accountant and you want them to get exactly paid? Right. Why on earth would you do it? Because it's like all yeah. data entry can just be AI. Yeah, because I, I was thinking with AI, and uh, I had this conversation um, with Wycliffe, who's a musician. He was on one of the previous episodes. Like, can can AI replace reality? And just like we're talking about with authenticity and art, like I don't think it ever can because as humans, we value that human connection, that human story. So if we develop too much like AI art, it's, you know, it's like the McDonald's thing. It's like not going to be authentic and people are going to sort of tell. Um, So as humans, I think we're always searching for that human connection. And uh, yeah, like with creativity human connection is a huge part about, you know, what you create and art, but with the maybe accounting, unless you're like really vibe with your accountant and you like <laughs> really connect yeah, yeah, with your accountant, yeah, yeah. Uh, then maybe you'd stick with them. But otherwise me personally, it's just like, I'm down to just let some AI, AI do yeah. my books. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's like, what worries me about it is like, and it's like, you know, when, when governments start, you know, governments already, you know, they, they run a society very heavily on statistics and data. And it's like when a government has an AI that manages mm. policy and manages local policy and infrastructure and and it's like that worries me a little bit. Social credit. Social credit. Shout out. Yeah, shout out. CPP. Let's go, yeah, yeah, shout out CCP, <laughs> CPP. Social credit. Love it, dude. Jeez. What a great idea. Um, and yeah, and when you have an AI that you don't understand who's programming it or what's programming mm, it. Like it's, not, it's not like an AI is this kind of like, you know, benevolent thing that's like wants to take care of everyone. It's like, dude, someone's programmed that to perform particular algorithms mm. and is told to learn in a particular way. Like if AI is someone's making and that person has a bias or has an interest in some way, mm. right? And then well, if, you, if you sort of, keep sort of taking the macro lens out. It's like, what if you have like multiple governments mm. with multiple AIs? So like, let's say America's got an AI and China's got an AI and then these AIs are competing on the internet. And then, you know, these, that China's AI is generating articles about this political issue. And then the US AI is generating articles about this issue. I, I feel like if, if we keep, if AI goes to the point where I feel like it's going, you're going to pick up your phone and you're not going to be able to trust anything you look mm. at because it, it's you won't know like is this video AI generated? Is this picture yeah. AI generated? Dude, is this news yeah. article gen? I, I I don't even know anymore. And then it's like, and then what's going to happen if you're at home and you're like tinkering at you with your own AI? Maybe you do a little programmer and you've just built your own little AI, and then like Amazon kicks your door down and be like, stop that! That's a rogue AI, yeah. unregistered yeah. AI. You know, you need to register that AI. We need to have control of it. The AI mm. is dangerous, so we need to control it all. And it's like, bro, like I don't know if I want governments and massive multinational corporations just programming that programming AIs. Yeah. Yeah. I think it sort of comes down to ethics and I think ethics is always changing in like the social 
sort of landscape. So just like um, as creatives, you know, we're talking about authenticity and like how you, your creativity and your worldview is always changing. I think there's never going to be that one sort of uh, instruction on how to do things and how to live life because society is always changing, ethics are always changing. So if you have like this one AI program, uh, how does it, it account for any individual in the system it manages? Yeah. It doesn't. It's like you become an outlier. Yeah. You literally become something that it has to deal with that doesn't fit into the rest of its programming. Mm. It's like, well, is that a good thing? Like, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> no. Like, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, there might be someone you disagree with or someone who has a lifestyle that you don't like, but it's like, bro, you, you kind of got to let them live, dude. Like, mm. otherwise, who do you become? If you're out there saying we have to eliminate this opposition or we have to take this mm. philosophy away or these people are enemies of our lifestyle so we have to deal with them. It's like well, you kind of become China. Like it's like is yeah. as best as good as your intentions are and as good as like we have to protect the truth or we have to, you know, we all need to move in the same direction. But if you're if you're if that end goal is 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 you know justifies you to do terrible things, like mm. bro, you're probably a terrible person. Like Yeah. It's not really a way to live well, life. It's like, yeah. it's like I think no no one no one wants to see themselves as a villain for one, right? And also no one it's very rare that anyone thinks whatever they morally justify as being a bad thing. Mm. And I don't blame you know, you don't blame anyone for that. That's just you know, I want to do these things with my life. This is my philosophy. I choose to do these things. Mm. But when that starts to be like like blanketed, like you said, like an AI is just blanketing a particular set of like algorithmic laws or rules mm. in which everyone has to follow yeah the individual becomes like it essentially becomes persecuted because it's it Dude, doesn't it yeah. kind of looks like society's going that way like uh tesla just launched i mean like elon musk has been talking about ai ethics for a long time he's yeah. sort of very uh he's afraid of like the future of ai i guess or careful with it so he recently launched a like a robot i saw, it. I saw that and uh yeah it's it's like if if the government had sort of some sort of AI program of doing things and it like tied into these robots and then robots have human interaction. It's like, Dude. <laughs> damn, what's like, yeah, is that good? Like, I don't know. I, yeah, it's crazy. I got my doubts. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, I, I just think it's like, I'll, I'll desire, you know, I'll, I'll desire for, for progress. I think sometimes it's like, it's, it's a good thing, right? It's, 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 it's brought us to where we are today, but I think, to to not value sort of our traditions and our history and what what are some of the, the sort of the things that actually brought us here like individuals doing you know breaking out from mold and mm. doing their own thing right we used to we used to worship that like someone mm. who rejects the notions of the society around it Christopher Columbus for example mm. he's like I the world isn't flat it's around I'm gonna go out and prove it mm. laughed at teased mm. you're an idiot what are you doing goes out there on his own risks it all turns out he was kind of right mm. so if we begin to eliminate those people it's like well where does the progress go and then you go well is then progress handled by an ai or handled mm. by you know eight yeah. people in your government like yeah. that's not good that's not healthy where like mm. it's not a good way you know you shouldn't persecute people for being different from yeah. from both sides of the political spectrum it's it's ins- i think it's insane and i think it, all it does is holds us back mm. and then eventually we get to a point where we just live in like social dogma that if you don't adhere to it, you're rejected. And it's like, no, no, you have to adhere to the social dogma because it's, it's, it's the best for everyone. Mm. And it's like that. I don't know if that's a good thing. I feel like mm. that's just, 
kind of going back to the dark ages where yeah. the church and the state were one and the church was like if you yeah. you know if you don't follow this set of rules then we can persecute you mm. and it's like i don't know if that's a good thing either like i don't, I don't think that no uh, it's like it's never good if there's one way of doing things and if you there's no yeah yeah and i think that's also why art and artists are so important because they're always like you challenge that business challenging yeah, out in our in our work and putting yeah. it out there and it's always like a message yeah and and they're the, the people i really like to work with so i work with mm. a couple really great directors and 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 um you know creatives so there's a guy nathan simich who i work with he's does some amazing stuff great editor great director probably one of the best script writers i've read both mm. amazing wow. talent and then there's a there's a russell um russell white williams who's a director and he's a amazingly talented guy very in-depth well-designed scripts and he has his own kind of um film society in perth called black maria mm. that puts on screenings and it's built its own little sort of community that sort of value what what they do and go to all the screenings mm-hmm. and go to the shows and you'll set up interviews with the directors of the films and find some really cool kind of like cult films where he gets in contact with some of the people who worked on it so it's really really cool stuff you really check it like what mm. black maria does it's very very cool and so and like to the other kind of people i like to associate with the people who are kind of making it themselves and mm-hmm. they're not following the the structured sort of way to approach life and they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of fumbling and stumbling and yeah 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 and and you know like finding their way by themselves yep. and i think you know i i do worry that as as we become more global and and everything becomes kind of homogenized interconnected and homogenized we begin to lose that individuality you know like mm. i'd hate to go to japan again and feel like japan isn't japan anymore mm. i'd hate to go to you know indonesia and not feel like indonesia is indonesia mm. i i you know I, I really do value an individual person an individual culture an individual you know society and i think we should value that and not see that as a net negative it's like i i feel like if i go to different places and they all yeah. look different yeah. as a photographer i'm like perfect i don't want to go to america and be like man i feel, kind of feel like i'm in australia or yeah. i kind of feel like i'm yeah. in britain it's like yeah that's why i love travel and uh just i think as a photographer i do enjoy just meeting different people throughout life because like you learn so much from going to a place that's so different from where you are which is why my favorite place is to travel are like Asia and Africa because it's like totally yeah, yeah. different. So like when you experience something that's totally different and have a different way of uh, just different worldview and different way of operating in life, you, that's how you that's how you learn. You need something different to learn from because if it's you're in the same place, you're not yeah. going to learn anything. You, you're experiencing the same things. You're not going to learn anything. Ah, and if the, the you know if there's a kind of a global kind of agreed upon ideology. It's like we're everywhere kind of thinks and operates the same. It's mm. kind of lame. Like, mm. I don't know how good that is. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, I come from an immigrant background and my father's Jamaican and I don't, I'm not something, you know, I'd never say you know, immigration's a bad thing. It's just more like I, I value as I've gone through life and as I've, as I've, what I've experienced through life, I really do value difference. Mm. And I value people holding on to that difference. Yeah, I think and it's dope. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I want to sort of talk about some particular projects because I know hey, you, you've worked go, with some dude. like quite um, big artists. Um, so who are some some artists that you're really kind of like, whoa, like I've sort of made it and 
Oh, made it. Or like really, you impressed yourself that you're sort of working with these these it, big sort of names. So probably the best experience and the most eye-opening experience I had was working with Flume. Mm. I, I worked with him on his like highest Flume mixtape. Um, he got nominated for a Grammy, which was insane. Like my artwork was like up on, like, it was insane. Like, like, like it was, it was my photography was like up there, and it was a director called Jonathan Zawada. I don't know if you ever know his, his stuff. He's amazing. Like, oh my god, he's and he's such a sick guy. Um, and but working with with Flume and Jonathan Zawada, and seeing how they operated, the conversations they had, and their approach to work, really opened my eyes mm. because. At the time, you kind of have this impression that, especially from in Perth in a small place, you're kind of looking, you're kind of looking up, right? And you're looking at these guys and these amazing projects that come out and these amazing artists doing amazing things, and you're like, "Bro, I'll never, never get there. I'll never understand how that works." Like, dude, that's so sick. But then I got the call up, um, thanks to a, a friend called Taku. Oh, Taku? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he 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 linked me up with the Future Classic guys and said, "Oh, you should." Should link with with Matt Sue. He's a he's a cool dude, and and I'll actually talk a little bit about how I got myself into those situations, mm. and 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 you know what little success I have, why I think this is a little part of my my character, like that sort of little bit of parts of how I, I kind of worked and, and how that kind of all shaped together. But what I found the most beautiful thing about working with with those two guys is, especially Jonathan, is like he. He just loved it. Like there was no, he had there's no, there was no, there was no like, no, there was not wasn't pretentious. Mm. It wasn't like oh, like there was no self importance. It was like I just kind of want to make this. Yeah, that's and the best vibes to have. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's just like, dude, let's fucking just create this. Let's thing. just make it, and and he just made it, and it'd be him seven a.m. in the morning with a little Sony camera, digging in the dirt, putting little objects in the dirt. And just kind of like filming it and jumping around and be like, oh, that looks sick. Oh, yeah, like that. And the camera mm-hmm. goes like that. And actually, we don't even need the film team. We'll just shoot it on this little camera because I think this is perfect. And it's like, so all that, all that narrative I had in my head about how things work at a higher level, yep. I was like, he's, he's they're kind of like, like the people I work with. It's, it's the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. It's like they just... I think it's like a childlike mentality, yeah, which is 100%. what I sort of yeah. we're talking about this with a, another guest. And like as creators, we're trying to tap into that childlike yeah. creativity. And like when I'm shooting, I'm just like running over here, like, oh, dude, this is yeah, like, yeah. I'm just like no filter. Yeah, it's like authentic communication. So it's kind of like, it that's the most enjoyable thing. Just like that. It was just like that. You know, we're talking some of the, you know, one of the biggest artists in the world and the production. And it's working with the Collider, which is like, you know, massive Sydney mm. production mm. agency. And they're just having fun and they're just doing it. And they're not really thinking about, you know, like sort of the, like I said, like is any, no pretense. There's no, like they're not holding themselves back. It's like, they're just doing it. Mm. And I, I just, I completely loved it, dude. I, it was so eye opening to me and it was so nice to sort of experience that and then like bring that back to the smaller project, you know, cause that, that's, mm. you know, I'm not, out there hashtag crushing crushing it but you know i've done some really cool stuff and it was really nice to learn that experience and and go through that and um and and bring that into my own like like bring that into my own philosophy Mm. into my Mm. understanding and not be afraid to show my passion and my desire my interest in creativity on, on the projects that i'm working on to clients and and agencies and 
and people, other people. Like it, yeah. I learned that that's actually what you should be doing. Is you should yeah. be, you should be the guy who's the most passionate in the room. Mm-hmm. You should be the guy who's, you know, falling over, you know, tripping over himself to mm. to, to sort of come up with a new idea or have fun with something because I, I I feel like that's what other people want. Yeah, it's it's almost like you can't. There's no strict guidelines and rules for creativity it's it's just like it's all about self-expression so when you're trying to create something it's like you want to you know bounce ideas you want to like try different things it's like it's a little bit messy but then like that's how you come up with something like you're just sort of feeling around and just creating 100 percent. and you know what i found as well is like the more you can let go of your ego you know and the more you can let go of failure you Mm. know not worrying about what are things are wrong I feel like the more you sort of dig those things out, and I've always had this idea of like digging out my weaknesses, like digging out all those things mm. that get in the way between me and that like childhood, child, childlike desire to just like go at things mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, do it. You know, and I, I, one of the example I always think about is like a kid's in a, in a, in a sand pit and he's building sandcastles mm. and he finishes it, he just smashes it down yeah, and yeah. It starts again. Yeah. Because he's not interested in, that he's not interested in so much the end product as he's interested in the process of doing yeah. it and finding his way to that end product. Mm. And then he's like, cool, this looks great. Great experience. Knock it down. I'm going to do it again. Just kind of a good philosophy for yeah, life as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's something I always think about and I always try and bring, bring time work. And sometimes it's scary. And you're sitting down, you know, like sitting in a meeting with like 20 other people and they're like, okay, so director, what do we do? <laughs> and you're like, well, like, <laughs> and that's, it is stressful. Like, dude, I've had sleepless nights, about that project like you know i'm i'm you know that flame project was, was a fun one but mm. some you know i'm working on some commercials at the moment with a you know really big with the rac oh yeah and you know we just presented a 100 page pre-production document Whoa. yeah dude that covered just about everything you could imagine that's um, sort of when you have to like have a <laughs> yeah there's a there's, a, there's, a, there's another side to the whole thing so there's the childlike desire and, and the ability to play and think outside yeah. the box and not be inhibited by your ego and by insecurities the other side of that is responsibility mm. and so you have to be able to pair i think pair the two yeah that's that's literally the sort of the philosophy behind this podcast because i'm trying to um talk about the balance between creativity and art and also there's a there's a business side to being a creative as well it's a responsibility. So it's, it's all yeah. business and responsibility. So it's almost like finding a balance, knowing when to sort of lean into whichever. Yeah, and 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 what else? I mean, responsibility is not just the financial side. Is like, like uh, when you're as a director, I always look at look at directing as like being the captain of a ship, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you have the map and you have the destination, but you're not actually doing all the individual parts. Mm-hmm. You're just overseeing it. You're also the, the the energy. You're also the person that everyone comes to and says, "Are we doing this right?" Mm. You say either yes or you know yeah. yes, we're doing yeah. that right. We need to do this, or we need to add this to it, or we need to think about this. And I think you have to be responsible. Then in that position, I think creative, both creatively responsible in terms of you not understand your own vision, you understand where you want to go and what it, what it means and and how it looks and how it feels. But you also have to be there, be the one who makes all the decisions and takes responsibility mm. for those decisions, but also you set the culture on your ship, right? So your yeah. ship yeah. Is, is how you work and how you manage the people you, you're working with. 
It's all part of the culture of your ship. Um, and I think that's the way I look at it. And, and, and I always try and think about like, it's not just me. Like I'm not the only person on this ship. Mm. There's a whole crew yeah. and there's people that have paid me to go from, you know, from one country to the next country. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say like, this is the map. This is how we chart the course. These are the right crew to have involved in it. Um, and I will keep you informed of our journey along mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. 100%. Um, because I, because I, yeah, because it's, it's such a difficult job. You know, you, you, how do you, like, how do you say to a group of people who may not always be creative or working on creative things, how do you say to them, this, we are, we are going to make something from nothing and this is what it's going to be. Mm. And how do you energize them and motivate them and have them buy in to that journey? And sort of feel a part of it. Feel a part yeah. of it. And I, like, I, that comes back to what I was saying about the ego and your insecurities. If you let those things win, then you start to have a, a negative relationship with those people mm. who are invested in your work yeah. or on your journey with you. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I think directing, I think because back to what I said at the very start, I think filmmaking is, is really different and directing has got to be one of the hardest creative pursuits mm. because it, it's, you're thinking of everything all the time. It's like... And I'm probably pretty terrible at it. As you're well. like <laughs> telling people what to do, but also you've got to remove your self from it remove that ego from it at the same time so it's like so you can yeah so you can connect with them and you can communicate mm. with them effectively and get your point across to where you need to go without them walking away with, with like not without them walking away but with them walking away feeling energized and, and, and like interested in what you're doing and like, yeah, yeah and i want to do this and i understand the direction we're going in and you know i i I know the creative, you know the the, the creative end goal mm-hmm. has been communicated to me by the director. Mm-hmm. So that's I can I can work on this for sure. And going back to that project with Flume, oh yeah, tangent. Um, let's go. <laughs> can we talk about like the concept behind that whole project, like the album art, the photography, and that video, that amazing video? Yeah. As well. So so Jonathan Zawada directed the video. Mm-hmm. So he um, and he was the kind of the, the creative driving force for the whole thing. So him and him and Harley, him and Flume, um, and my role on it was actually had multiple roles, which was kind of intense. So my job was the press photography, mm-hmm. photos to be used for album artwork, to be used for merchandise, as well as BTS, which is already a lot. Mm-hmm. But also, I shot a BTS video at the same time as well as I shot all the visualizers for the individual tracks. Yep. Um, and some of the footage I shot was in the, the final final piece as well. Um, and the, it, you know, it, I'm not, I wasn't privy to the exact deeper philosophical sort of journey that mm. Jonathan Zawada and Harley were, were taking the project. Mm-hmm. But um, there was definitely a sense of kind of like, there was a, there was a sort of a grounded, um, sort of artistic motivation behind it. And it, it it definitely seemed like there was this kind of journey of of Flume experimenting and rediscovering himself mm. in the work. He kind of, you know, he, he journeys through all these sort of natural locations and he digs himself up and, um, you know, and, and it's this kind of like this total trip of a, mm. of a, of a project. Um, and, yeah, and for me, you know, to, to sort of... One thing I'm I'm really grateful for for Future Classic allowing me to was 
they gave me a lot of creative freedom on the project. So they kind of gave me a really loose brief. And they're like, these are the kind of things we want, but we're not going to have anyone go with you. You're just kind of going to go and do it. And you kind of tell us what you'd like to do. And so I made like a brief, I made a creative brief and kind of based it off the journey that Zawada and, and Harley had set. And they're like, yeah, great, go and do it. And, and we'll see what happens when, when, when you come back. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it is scary kind of going into something like mm. that, especially at that level where you're like, like, you know, roll the dice, you know, you just kind of just YOLO in. Um, but, yeah, I, it's, yeah, I think that that work is, you know, it's a reflection of, of the energy I put in, but I think it's a big reflection of, of what those guys sort of had had a desire for and, and you know, that, that thing I was talking about before about sort of individuals kind of all pursuing a similar thing mm. but in their own way was kind yep. of the energy of the shoot. Yep. Yeah, like I'd be off shooting something random, Jonathan and Harley be off shooting something random, and we'd get together, we'd shoot something random. It was a very, very fun experience. So it's almost like uh, each sort of view of the same concept was captured in like a different way. Yeah. Um, and then one of the things I had to do as well was I used the red light for a lot of the shots of Flume. And the reason for that is is because it's like, for one, we need, it was very like mobile shoot. So, you know, you couldn't have a lot of gear with you because we're traveling to all these different locations around WA. Where was it shot? WA. Oh, so yeah. shot down south. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it was shot in, where's Night Nat 5 from? Where's that town? Oh, not too sure. Oh, dude. What's that town called? It's like a surrounded, Tom, it's Tom Price, I don't know. <laughs> no, not Tom Price. It's surrounded by all these salt lakes. Um, very cool place. Um, a lot of it was shot around there. Um, I can't think of the name. Where is, where's the knife from? I don't know. People listening might know. Or check Google, it out, Google, right check there, it, dude. guys. That check right there, dude. Oh, yeah, true, there. true. I guess... Um, uh, um, yeah, but so a lot, of the, a lot of the shoot was like based on this car. So you would have seen the car and, and sort of Harley driving this car around all these landscapes. And so I needed something that was simple, but also I could carry on me and have available to me all the time. And so this idea of, where is it? Range National Park, Franklin River. Uh, what's it? Wiling up? No, not wiling up. Oh, dude. I'll just search. Just search like... Nat 5, I know. Oh. Wait, where, where's Nat 5 from? Yeah, it, it should come up. Should. Lake Grace. Got him. Oh. So Lake Grace. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of it was shot around Lake Grace, um, which is a beautiful part of WA, um, and a little bit further south on all these, like, sand dunes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the red light look that we went with uh, was, like, this was motivated by the car itself. So the car brake headlights, you know, being red, was a big sort of, like, uh, like artistic sort of direction that we mm. chose to take to, to so a lot of the press shots of Flume is like Flume landscape he's like filled in with all this red light and this idea that it was the car head like car rear brake oh, gotcha. lights that yep. were always kind of throwing a light on him mm. yeah so it was fun simple yeah yeah actually that's a really cool concept yeah because the whole the main sort of idea um, as you were saying was maybe Flume um, traveling through all these places and it's like a, a self-discovery journey and then yeah th- with that car theme that was really cool yeah. and then like using the car lights that car, the concept of the car real lights for the photography as well like 
just makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it just kind of connected it. And also the colour, it just kind of worked out because I didn't know what the car was going to look like. I knew there was going to be a car, but we had no idea what it was going to look like. Um, and it was an artist in Perth that actually designed and, and painted the car, which was sick. I can't remember his name, though. God, he, that, that, that kills me. Um, Dude in Frio. But yeah, great, great, great project. Oh, yeah, you might be able to find that out. Dude, Google that. Oh, hi, this is Flume. And then maybe put like car artist and see what that comes up with. Yeah, see, there's my photos right there. Bang, got them. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the. It's good fun. The car looks so sick. Um, Does it say who the artist is? Come on, it's got to. Surely. It kills me who. Kills me that I don't remember any. So it was a 90s era Nissan 300ZX. Where's the artist? Classic, dude. See that? So they're the videos I did. Oh, so yeah. These are the little, like, repeating. These are kind of, like, looped videos that just kind of loop over the whole track. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's good fun. Yeah, I've, I've used a lot of this sort of imagery... In like a photo book that I'm releasing, I do a lot of night photography stuff, oh, and I yeah, just dude, love like the it. petrol stations at night. Like, yeah. I do usually under the country. Then, dude, they got yeah. s- some of them are so isolated, so classic. Yeah, but yeah, it just repeats like that forever. Dude. So this is the visualizer you shot. Yeah, so I shot so each 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 single, like each track on that EP has a visualizer that goes along with it. Um, and then yeah, so it was it, I like it was a big. Big projects and a lot, big workload, dude. Oh my god! Like just traveling everywhere and and, and just managing all the different. So I, I I'd be running around. I had two cameras on me, like two stills cameras, and then I had a Blackmagic 4K, like pocket 4K, dude. That I would also carry. So I had three cameras on me all the time. Yeah, dude, that's just good fun. Mentally, like just thinking about every managing every camera setting for every and the cards and the batteries and the oh, dude, dude the Blackmagic like the batteries and stuff oh, you no. would have had to. So shout out to Cinema Machine. I don't know if you know yep. Cinema Machine. Do you know those guys? Uh, not sure. So they're a higher, they're a higher place in Perth, like a film filmmaker's higher. If you can go there and hire gear for like yep. music videos and stuff. They actually made me, so they made me, so before all the cages came out for the Black Magic, they made me through uh, 3D printing, mm-hmm. all these little things to connect uh, my battery and connect to my hard drive. You know you can shoot the hard drives yep. with the like. They made all these little things for me to take on that. That, that they they that like they made yeah they made them for you like yeah yeah for, your, yeah. Oh, for nothing they just no, like they're, that. they're like dude that sounds like hard work we'll just three D print you something and you can just go yeah. and do it. Um, so those guys are great. Shout out shout out Mike at, at Cinema Machine. Good dudes. Sick yeah. And, no, and I've, ju- and I've just been shooting with Shock One as well. Um, like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. And um, we could link some gear from Cinema Machine to shoot with that as well. And we shot that that project on a on a high eight. I was talking to you about it before, like a high oh, yeah, Sony hand dude. Cam. Like I've seen a lot of like vintage videography like coming back, which is really cool. Yeah, it's. I think it comes back to what, you, what we're saying about the AI and this desire for more like handmade, mm. kind of less perfect. And I, I still, um, yeah, AI wouldn't know to do that. Be like, oh, this is sick. Let's try like a. It'd be like, what's like the most high quality thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'll, I'll just for the for, sorry for the viewers playing at home. They're not going to be able to see these images. Oh, yeah. I'll give you a little... Uh, where is it? Where's the... Uh, 
Is it like... Uh, so we shot with this guy called from Brenton from Newcastle. Yeah. So they're, so they're digital These skills. are exclusive images. Exclusive. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So these are... Oh, that's some... Some yeah, exclusive stuff right there. So these, are, these are coming soon. Stay tuned on literally Instagram from yesterday or from last night. I wasn't oh, in bed till like four. Dude, the vi- like, I don't know what it is. Like, even I've been shooting with like these vintage cars, nighttime. It's kind of like retro vibes. I'm sure it's like a lot of people do it, but I don't know. In Perth, there's like a huge car scene as well. So yeah. it's uh, it's so sick to see, you know, the with Flume, that um, Nissan 300ZX, and then like these vintage cars and stuff. Just like a sick vibe. Yeah, it was hell fun, dude. And and the high eight, it looks incredible. Oh yes. Yeah. My so my friend actually on a recent shoot, he filmed this whole uh, car video shoot in uh, with VHS. Yeah. It just looks mad. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, we um we got a guy from from Brisbane uh, from Brisbane from Newcastle over. He's a dancer. Uh, a guy called Brenton. Shout out Brenton. Mm. And we flew him over, and he's like a I don't know the a Gabba Gabba dancer. So he does all the like. Like kicks and kicking his feet out mm. and like pump. Or oh yeah, yeah, it's such a w- yeah. I'll, uh, if you if you Google it, yeah. Google it right now. Go like Gabba, Gabba dance, and you'll see a video. This old vintage video of this dude in this white studio. It's so good. Like uh, in Newcastle. Or? Should we, yeah, that's it. There, that first one, dude. This is wild. So what are we looking at here? You'll see. Oh. Yeah, dude, this goes so hard. So this is Brenton. He dances like these guys. So for the podcast listeners, we're looking at two dudes dressed in vintage clothing. Is this from like the nineties or? Yeah, dude. how hard yeah. the track goes as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty sick, dude. This is a bit like a new dance trend that needs to come back. Oh, Brenton's there doing it, dude. It's an amazing thing too. Yeah, like. It just kind of looks like they're sort of spazzing out a bit, but at the same time, it's like it does look like there's a style to it as well. And shout out to Brenton, man. We pushed him so hard as well, dude. Oh my god, he, I think he danced. I think he did this like 20 times the whole day shooting, for like three minutes each time. So that's, 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 like, that's a lot. TikTok would eat up this dance <laughs> move. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hell of good fun, dude. You can do yourself. It's good at this forever. Oh yeah. Um, for the three minutes it's on and it's like the full tracksuit so like yeah we had Brenton in the full tracksuit um, like dancing in the white yeah. studio the same kind of vibe and all sick and we had him in like uh, shout out Recobite as well they let yeah, us come in yeah the Recobite's dope oh dude that basement bro <laughs> I, that basement it's my favourite venue oh it just it just looks so good like the, the low roof the LED lighting across the top perfect of the cage all the black walls it's yeah. all dank and especially so you shot the dancing at the we red, shot one of the scenes yeah, in there. Dope, so we did dope, four dope. scenes, um, yeah, all, all sort of around, all different random locations. And then the last scene was, um, and we shot it at this guy. He's like a car detailer. He literally just messaged me. This is bad podcasting, by the way. Um, <laughs> obs- obsessive car car detailing. He came in and um, let us come in and film like a scene in mm. his, his garage. And dude, like some of the cars he had were just... Like like there's like one of them in Australia and it's like in his garage and he's yeah. detailing it. It was insane, dude. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Very very fun stuff. Um, and when when can uh, 
When do you reckon that'll be coming out? Uh, early November. Early November. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's like a project with Cruz Patterson, who's a rapper yep. from Coy yeah, Child. Yeah. So yeah. I've been working with him for year, like 10 years, dude. Um, oh, I, I just got to say, I love the um, those music videos that you made for, uh, I think it was Cruz Patterson or his, or Power Negro, like in Frio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are so dope. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love, like, those, like, I'm, you know, one of my favorite directors is Spike Jones. Um, and, I loved if you look at a lot of old Spike Jones stuff, mm-hmm. man. Like it's just they're just doing it, you know. Like just, it's a cool idea, and they're just pulling pulling it off in really cool like ways that are like resourceful. Um, and I really like that kind of just being connected to like an art, you know, a sort of a com- you know an artistic community, and just going in there and like coming up with some sick ideas mm. and then just going out and making it happen. You know, not not it's like the opposite to what I do commercially because I, sh- I work on a lot of ads. And I, I love it, you know, I, love, I work with a, a great um, production house called um, Beautiful Pictures. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. And I love love working with those guys, but it's nice to just kind of like jump out into a um, to a project with some friends and just go nuts. And just yeah. like you were saying before, just throw ideas around and, and be, take that energy from what I learned from Flume and, and Jonathan Zawada and just kind of go nuts. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, thank you, Matsu, so much for coming on the podcast. Um, so dope to just get a insight into like where your creativity comes from and your story and everything like that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'll definitely be following on for these new projects coming out. And everybody listening, go all his uh, the links will be in the show notes. Hey, yeah. let's go, let's get it. Thanks for having yeah. us, dude. It's been fun. Yeah, no worries.